the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. We are now rounding the corner as November this year has five Thursdays, and the prequel to the Advent Christmas season is now in its fourth week. December is fast approaching, which for this year, 2023, signals the official Advent season, you know, the four-week period that precedes December 25th, Christmas Day. Advent, as we now call it, is uniquely designed to actually help Christians of all centuries prepare for what we now refer to as Christmas, preparing our hearts, minds, and attitudes, and counteract the commercialized or merchandised version, or as I call it, the fake news version, of this truly sacred celebration of Jesus' birth, by reenacting key portions of the gospel narratives that record the birth of Jesus. Today we'll pick up where we left off and compare and contrast some more responses of some other actors and actresses who have stepped onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama we've come to know and love as the Christmas story. Our overarching theme during November's prequel is Something New Was Brewing on Planet Earth. Session A introduced us to the scriptural and historical background and concept of Advent titled The Three A's of Advent. Session B introduced us to an unlikely character that we might not think should be on the stage of the Christmas story, titled A Season of Newness. In our last session, Session C, we began our comparison and contrast of some of the typical actors and actresses we've come to know well in this great and wonderful drama known as the Christmas story. And friends, if you missed any of these previous sessions in our November prequel, just go to Faith Talk 1360. Dot com and search for local program podcasts or even Spotify or Apple podcasts. Well, friends, today's session D in our November prequel miniseries is called The Ultimate Star Trek. Last time in Session C, we zeroed in on Zechariah's and Mary's responses to that special and unique announcement that came to them through the angel Gabriel, as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 1. So we viewed this story through the eyes and ears of Luke. 
We paired up the program scripts of Zechariah and Mary, put them side by side, and discovered two distinctly different reactions to the angel's revolutionary news, news that definitively signaled that something new was brewing on planet Earth. Before their very eyes, God was dismantling the old order of business and introduced a coming season of newness, each responding very differently, as we noticed by our closer observation and examination of the textual accounts scripture laid out for us. Well, friends, I think you've probably figured out that today's title, The Ultimate Star Trek, alludes to a particular set of actors that strut onto the stage of our drama, this time riding on camels. Yep, you guessed it, those wise men. Last time in Session C, First Contact, we sat in the audience as the curtain opened and Act 1, Scene 1 of the birth narrative unfolded. As I shared, Luke was both the scriptwriter and the casting director in our Christmas drama. Of the four main actors in Act 1, the angel Gabriel, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and Mary, Luke chose to draw our attention to Zechariah and Mary's responses. Well, friends, today in Session D, we're going to view the birth narrative through Matthew's scripting and directing. As I see it, Matthew redirects our attention to now focus on the wise men's arrival in Jerusalem at the palace of King Herod. In fact, it's in this palace that an opportune moment arises for us to scrutinize the wise men's and Herod's responses to an unusual birth announcement. So, let's get out our spiritual magnifying glass and put on our detective's cap. Remember now, friends, Matthew's Gospel was written for a primarily Jewish audience, and in so doing, it forms a bridge from the Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, to our New Testament. So, in light of that, Matthew's Gospel script introduces us to a genealogy, tracing Jesus' ancestral line back to King David, and eventually back to Abraham. But for our focus today, the drama unfolds when several wise guys surprisingly show up on King Herod's doorstep, seeking the whereabouts of a new kid in town, a new kid on the block, a newborn king. And in Matthew's purview of our drama, we, the audience, are introduced to some additional supporting cast members that we just can't leave out. Because, friends, whereas Luke's birth narrative is told from Mary's perspective, Matthew's viewing angle is Joseph. In fact, friends, Joseph's part in Matthew's birth narrative functions like bookends. He appears at the outset and then reappears to close out the narrative. In addition, sandwiched in between, there's the role of some other supporting cast members, namely the chief priests and scribes. And we'll see what conclusion we can draw from their appearance on the stage of this great and wonderful drama known as the Christmas story. So, friends, without further ado, let the curtain open and let's listen to Matthew as he narrates Act 2, which begins in Matthew one eighteen. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah was as follows. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, i got to pause here a moment, friends, because we need to have a clearer understanding of this term, betrothed, 
It's a tricky word. Some English translations have pledged, some have engaged, some use the term espoused, and some even say promised. This is because the challenge is choosing an equivalent term for which no equivalent term exists in Western society, nor in America. The Old Testament concept and practice of betrothal and the betrothal period, which carries over into New Testament times, has no parallel in our modern Western culture. You see, this sacred period in Jewish culture was a legally binding arrangement that set a young woman apart from a particular young man. The betrothal period, usually a year, was just as sacred as the ensuing marriage itself, with the exception that sexual relations were not permitted. And this agreement can only be voided by death or formal divorce proceedings. There were no other options for getting out of a betrothal. So Matthew's script continues, her husband Joseph, since he was a righteous man and didn't want to disgrace Mary, planned to send her away secretly. By the way, that's code language for divorce. But when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, to break here again, friends, to bring out another cultural practice regarding Matthew one twenty and the angel's words to Joseph to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. I admire the NIV translation committee for inserting the word home here. In other words, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. No standard English translation in print today inserts home. Two older translations now out of print contain it. It, but they're not popular or read today. So here's an instance, friends, where a cultural nugget of truth assists us in properly interpreting a text. You see, the customary practice in Bible times was that during the year-long betrothal period, the husband-to-be devoted time to preparing either a room in his father's house for his bride or building a separate home. The bride-to-be's role during this year was to begin preparing herself for married life. And interestingly enough, this is the precise word picture Jesus paints in John chapter 14 when he said to his disciples, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Cool, huh? So, friends, in a sense, our relationship to Jesus right now is evidently viewed by him as a betrothal relationship. And he's now in his father's house preparing a room for us, his bride-to-be. This metaphor is reiterated by Paul in Ephesians five twenty-five and 26. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Friends, we modern-day Christians have no clue that our part of the bride-to-be is to begin preparing ourselves now for married life, living holy lives as befits the Holy One, to whom we will live with for eternity. Jesus, our husband, 
Well, back to Matthew's script. Remember, the angel is still speaking to Joseph. She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Isaiah, would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Enter those wise guys in Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Well, friends, let's stop again right here for a moment. Did you notice Herod's initial reaction to the Magi's question? He was troubled, as the text says. A better translation is disturbed, because he was the king of the Jews. This was Herod the Great, who reigned over Judea from 37 to 4 BC. While the Romans gave Herod authority to rule the Jews, most Jews hated him, even though he referred to himself as king of the Jews. Now, friends, did you catch that little phrase, and all Jerusalem with him? What's up with that? We might all just, why might all Jerusalem be disturbed when King Herod was disturbed? Well, history tells us that this Herod the Great was a bloodthirsty tyrant. He murdered his wife, his mother-in-law, his three sons, and numerous other people. His forthcoming edict to kill all male children two years and under confirms that he was paranoid and insecure. After all, he was the king. Judea was certainly not big enough for two kings. Evidently, Herod was good at covering up or masking his initial disturbance over the announcement of a new king of the Jews being born on his watch. Well, let's pause here a moment. You're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners because A Word from the Word is listener-funded. Your financial partnership is vital in keeping this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home, and you who may have been hurt by the institutional church. Please join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com. We're living in challenging financial times, and ministries are not immune from these challenges. A word from the word is seeking to become fully funded, and monthly supporters are still needed. We'll repeat this info at the end of today's program. Well, let's continue tracking Matthew's script as it unfolds in chapter 2, verse 4. Herod gathered together all the chief priests and scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet has written about, the prophet Micah. And they quote Micah, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, 
report back to me so that I too may come and worship him. Now, friends, you know what I wrote in the margin of my Bible, right where Herod said that? I wrote, yeah, sure, Herod, you liar, you conniver. Because just eight verses later in Matthew 2.16, Herod realizes he was tricked by the Magi, and the text says he became enraged. And this rage, rooted in his insecurity and paranoia, is what led to his edict to kill all the male children two years and under. Friends, as Matthew's script continues to unfold, we'll see this. After hearing the king, the Magi went on their way. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them, until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Well, friends, just who are these Magi, these wise guys, as I call them? And just how did they find out about this unique birth? Bible scholars propose that these wise men were either from a priestly tribe of Medes or they were Persian elders from Babylon schooled in philosophy, medicine, and science. They may even have been part of an order of astrologers, kind of like those spoken about in Daniel. Our English word magi is basically a transliteration of the Greek word magoi, which is derived from the Persian language, meaning magician or sorcerer, but a particularly learned magician. Now, we must keep in mind, friends, that in Bible times, astronomy and astrology had not yet been separated out to different spheres of understanding. They were still joined together as one area of study or one discipline. What's especially interesting is that if we look at an ancient map of the Assyrians and Babylonian Empire, we learn that the Medes lived just outside the border of the Assyrian Empire. Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 BC, and subsequently the Assyrians were overtaken by the Babylonians, and Israel was taken into captivity again in Babylon. So it's curious, isn't it? During this Babylonian captivity, Daniel was taken into custody? It's not really too much of a stretch to imagine that Daniel's influence brought the law of Moses and his own prophetic writings to the attention of the inhabitants of Babylon, Assyria, and the land of the Medes and Persians. And wouldn't it be just like God to tuck this little verse away in Numbers 24:17? I see him, but not now. I look at him, but not near. A star shall appear from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall smash the forehead of Moab and overcome all the sons of Sheth. For these magi to discover as they read through the law of Moses? <laughs> well, friends, let's not forget the other supporting cast members in this drama that I mentioned in the beginning, those infamous chief priests and scribes. We actually already read about them in Matthew's script for this drama. Remember when Herod asked these so-called religious experts where the Messiah was to be born in response to the Magi's question? Remember how their brilliant intelligence shone forth in their quick response? How Micah 5-2 just rolled off their tongues with... 
in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet Micah. Then they quote Micah verbatim, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This exchange of dialogue occurred in Herod's temple, and when Herod's infamous decession and deception and line is now uttered, go and search carefully for the child, and when you have found him, report back to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Ha! Bah humbug, Herod. Bah humbug. Well, friends, these particular upper echelon religious priests and scribes didn't go with the Magi to accompany them to Joseph and Mary's house so they could worship Jesus as their newborn king, nor did they ever go on their own. They simply regurgitated their answer to Herod. They knew the answer. After all, they were well-versed in their Hebrew scriptures, yet they did not go to worship Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. As I said earlier, friends, these upper-class religious snobs fell victim to the same paranoia and insecurity Herod succumbed to. A new king of the Jews? A revealed Messiah? Why, their religious power base, their religious authority over people would be compromised, threatened even, because they loved the status quo. They loved their control. As a result, they resisted any new activity that God was showing them. Herod rebelled politically, and the chief priests and scribes rebelled spiritually. Friends, this reminded me of Acts 7 and the stoning of Stephen and his very convicting speech to the high priest and his cohorts. Just before they stoned him, he screamed, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Well, friends, from each of today's actors who've stepped onto the stage of the great and wonderful drama we call The Christmas Story, Matthew's expose points us to 21st century lessons. In other words, right here, right now. Let's keep in mind that some 2,000 years ago, something new was brewing on planet Earth. And let's not lose this newness this year, 2023, as we celebrate this great and wonderful drama known as the Christmas story. You see, friends, King Herod and the Jewish religious leaders prompt us to ask a few penetrating questions. Am I receptive to new instructions or direction from God? Do I actually request new things from God? Or am I too timid? Or how about, am I rebellious to new instructions or directions from God? Do I actually resist new things from God? In other words, am I stubborn? Or do I selfishly hold on to my own way of doing things? Instead, why not emulate the Magi? They're the ones who demonstrated receptivity to new revelation. And interestingly, they actually searched for it. Also notice the outcome. The Magi's lives were radically changed for the good. They certainly weren't timid or fearful, but curious, bold, and courageous. Friends, have we lost that first century curiosity? Have we lost that first century Jewish anticipation, expectation, and longing that accompanied their hunger and thirst for the coming of their promised Messiah? Have we settled into an annual routine that's been co-opted by the mainstream world? Has it simply seeped into our lives and taken over what should be a blessed and sacred season? 
So why not reignite this first century sense and recapture it in our personal lives, family lives, and communal celebrations this year? Why not strive to restore that anticipation and expectation and build this into our preparation for celebrating Christmas this time around? Well, friends, I propose this fitting prayer for this week. Lord, give us courage who know the ruler and shepherd personally to reflect his rulership or lordship in our lives. May those around us who do not have this guidance of God see it in us. May they be drawn to the true Savior this Christmas season, that babe in the manger whom the Magi sought and whom they bowed down to and offered him gifts and their lives. May we all be thankful that through Jesus our Savior we can have both peace with God and in the peace of God. Glory to the newborn King. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. I hope this November mini-series prequel to Advent is inspiring and challenging you. And as promised, we'll close with an email where you may write me, as well as inquire about how to help fund a word from the word, which is listener-funded. I love coming alongside you who are without a church home, or you who have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. We're also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, a word from the word is broadcast in over 70 countries. If these teachings are helping you grow and study God's word more carefully, please invest in our mission. During these financially challenging times, ministries are not immune. So please consider coming on board and join our support team. A word from the word is seeking to become fully funded. Monthly partners are still needed. A big thanks to you who are already financial partners of a word from the word. I truly appreciate your faithful support. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.